Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of the Smart City Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Ryan House, of course. I welcome you back for another episode today. Got some good stuff for you guys. Today we're going to be talking about hustle culture. If you're not sure what that is, don't worry, I got an introduction for you. And then that will lead in perfectly to our discussion on a generational talent, a learning opportunity that we're watching unfold in front of our eyes to this very day. Who am I referring to, you might ask? Well, international superstars, you might know him by the name of Drake, Aubrey Drake Graham, actor, started as that anyways, to international pop star, to icon of a generation. So let's get into it. The first thing we're gonna be talking about, as mentioned, is hustle culture. Now, what is that? Hustle culture has especially blown up in the last five or six years. And hustle culture is this idea that no matter what you're doing, it needs to be on something productive. That leisure just falls to the wayside, that every minute of every day that you need to spend is on whatever your project is, whatever your art is, your business, so on and so forth. It's the entrepreneurial lifestyle. Now, that might sound weird that I'm saying that there's the flip side to it because on this channel, quite a bit I talk about something similar that would put me in a box of hustle culture and promoting it. To some degree, I do. I think that the way that it's been taken has been taken wrong though. For instance, we're seeing a lot, uh, this is especially true on Instagram. If you go on there and you type in something like hashtag business minded, hashtag business life, um, entrepreneur lifestyle, hustle and grind, any of those hashtags work to find what I'm talking about here. And a lot of it is just this rehashed advice and it's people selling their get rich programs. Now, a couple episodes ago, I did a segment on Dan Locke and all these other gurus that I never really got into because when I was younger, I had a somewhat of a book mentor, if you want to call it that, and that was MJ DeMarco. He, in my opinion, has written the two best get-rich books of all time, Better Than Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Better Than The 4-Hour Workweek. And so I never really looked any further after him because anything else would just kind of seem underwhelming to me. And rightfully so, after looking up these guys, I, I, I noticed very quickly that I was right in that. But that's the thing that happens is over the generations, it doesn't really get passed along as quickly as I thought it would. And that's probably because of content overload. And so you get these guys that are pitching their get rich programs and they're targeting young adults and even teenagers to purchase their program with the hopes that at the end of it, they're going to be rich just like the person selling the program. And what is this top secret formula every single time? You might have guessed it, is that you too need to sell other people on getting rich. And so what does that have to do with hustle culture? Well, because we're starting to see it, that it's the get rich and the be productive crowd married. And so what happens is people get all of these all these videos lined up. They make these playlists, these motivational tapes about being productive. 
about hustle and grind, waking up with the right habits, and that's all good information. The problem is how it's applied, and it's not applied properly because they're not seeing a visual of someone actually doing that. What they're getting is someone being productive about telling you how to be productive. It's the same thing with get rich. Someone's getting rich of telling you how to get rich and the secret never comes. And that's because there is no shortcut. And it's the perfect marriage because they sell young people on the idea that they have to have very little resistance, that they buy this, this program and they have a top secret that nobody else has access to. And it's the same thing with the productivity. It's, it's labeled as hacks. These are my life hacks. These are my productivity hacks. It's these shortcuts. It's the sell of the shortcut and the instant gratification that gets people burned every single time. And so when we talk about hustle culture, that's when people that are hearing this message, they get depressed, they get anxious because they're unable to act on these unrealistic expectations that people are setting over them. Now. Quite a few times I've advocated for putting aside the leisure, going all in on a mission so that later you can cash out big. That's so you can enjoy leisure. It's not to say that you're supposed to be spinning your wheels every single day. That's a really good recipe for burnout. Hustle culture itself has even been branded into, into these sub niches. There's people that are against the term and are, are calling for this work-life balance and there's people that are against it totally saying, hey, we should have universal income and nobody should work ever. I think that's a terrible idea, obviously, because we see what happens when people get bored. It's not good. <laughs> we don't need that. But when we look at hustle culture today and what that's doing to our youth's mind is it's giving them this perpetual anxiety that they're never getting enough accomplished. And it really stems from the problem is they're not working on anything that they believe in. So then what you see is this factory of clones that comes out of it. Now you see all these other people that are pitching these get rich programs and their course that sells for $9.99. And then it's the same song and dance every time. And this is nothing new, by the way. It's just been branded as something new. There was something called the Warrior Forum back in the 2000s where they essentially did the same thing. They lured you on this website with all these promises of marketing, internet marketing glory. And you buy your membership to this website. And then what happens is you get entered into this pool of other people that are also members that are also paying for this membership. And then they put out uh, these guides that tell you essentially how to get rich um, on the internet with by doing these simple steps that everybody has access to. And they all buy it from each other. They buy each other's program so it spikes the numbers up. And then the unsuspecting person that walks on the website for the first time sees all these glowing reviews and then they buy into it. And then so the more that they get, the richer that person gets. So. Everybody on their little membership club, they see a decent lift in income and, and a decent lift in sales. And so that's the incentive is you become part of this community, you become part of the brother and sisterhood of where we promote each other's products and programs. So 
it's just taken a new form and with how easy it is to transmit messages, especially through Instagram, which is an, an image, literally that's the whole site's built in that. We're starting to now see how that's taking another form of the kids doing it amongst themselves. They're telling each other, oh, you gotta get rich by doing X, Y, and Z. Back in the 2000s, about the mid 2000s, all of that was shut down pretty, like it was at least quiet for a little bit. For at least a little bit, the whole guru thing kind of died off. And that was with the release of um, books like The Fastlane Millionaire and Unscripted, which I talk about a million times, just simply because I haven't seen anything better posted about it yet. And then coincidentally, those same people that went to his forum ended up somehow misconstruing the entire message. The most important part of that book was that he spent six hours um, driving from Chicago to Phoenix, I believe it was six hours. And then he ended up getting this really crappy apartment in Phoenix and taught himself how to build websites and then he ended up selling them. Then he made his living and then he had to basically come up with a problem to solve which ended up being limos.com. He was a limo driver at nighttime. So it'd be kind of the, like the equivalent of a hot wire today except for it was for limos. And then he sold it for millions and millions of dollars and now he's a writer, he focuses on his passion. And if you look at the story, there's nothing about that being a scheme and he doesn't glorify this ease that something like let's say the four hour work week does. So a few weeks ago, I talked a little bit about the the get-rich gurus and how they're still out here alive and well, and there's not really a gatekeeper putting those things in place like MJ and Marco did back in, in the mid-2000s. So this hustle culture idea, it's, it's well-intended. But the people that are promoting it are not showing a good example of what that truly means. In my personal opinion, we are looking at the result of an anti-hustle culture where we're tricking ourselves into thinking we're being productive. I rarely see the art of craft like it was at one point, like the other generations have. I don't see the 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 stereotypical artist that you'd have in your mind that just works on the perfection of details. It's almost like because there's so much content and so much distraction that we're kind of getting a lackluster product and we're replacing it and the deficiencies with technology to cover it up. Everything's at a faster speed these days. It's almost like it's not even worth putting together something, a very high substance because by the time you put it out, it's already covered by mountains of crap. And that's what we're starting to see with this hustle culture thing, is that people are adamantly against it. I know who they are. The, the people that are super against it, they're not getting the concept, the idea, they're feeling guilty. They're the apologists, if you wanna call it that. Maybe they were part of the hustle culture movement at one point and then they, they fell out of it. But now we need to look at healthier options to tell people, to put the phone away, work for enough hours on your craft, and then put it put it aside because leisure is still good for your 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 mind. You're gonna burn yourself out if you're just going nonstop, spinning on the hamster wheel. 
Now we're starting to also find out that our brain, when we think deeply and we're, we're intensely focused on something, that we are burning calories, that it is burning through glucose. And so when you look back into, let's say, the 40s and 50s when public speaking was so huge and you hear these stories about these guys that would do you know, four or five speeches a day and they go on the road and you know, do hundreds of speeches in a year, you find out that they had shaky hands, they were fainting. It makes a lot of sense now. Because when you are running your cortisol that high and that that's what's pumping through your veins, it's, it, that's a tough chemical. That's a tough hormone to have going through your veins. That can create that brain fog, that brain fog that you feel when you're not particularly motivated, when you're having a tough time gathering your thoughts, you're having a tough time having clear speech. That's exactly what that can lead to. The best thing you can do is use your time more efficiently because I guarantee you, if we were to look at these hustle culture, uh, what, what do you want to call them? Icons, promoters, gurus. I guarantee you that their average day is not spent working on anything of substance. And if it was, where is it? Because when I look at their profile, it's just talking about things that we've already known. 10 things to make you rich. Go to bed earlier. Work longer hours. Don't make excuses. You know, it's, it's that fluff type of material, that buzzfeedy type of advice that just gets passed around the washer until we're left with it not even meaning anything. It was at one point, but now it doesn't mean anything. Work on your craft. Get focused on it. Do short, intense bursts of work on, on a specific block, set them aside, and watch what happens. Take whatever your craft is, whatever your project is, and take it and do it professionally. That should be the end of it, really. You do that, you, you look to solve problems, things are gonna work out. So I will give the hustle culture right now a big F because I don't, I'm not seeing anybody that's really producing something of a value that would, let's say, be timeless 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. It's, it's literally become a, a way to promote the same exact message. People are getting rich off telling you how to get rich. People are getting more productive, telling you how to be more productive. It's almost just like a cheap way to get into the game, into getting into feeling productive. So I'm gonna give it an F. I'm gonna say, don't listen to that BS. That's because that's exactly what it is. It's just BS. Which is a perfect segue into the next half here, which is let's look at a perfectly good example of somebody who's bought all the way in and who would be a better face of what you would call hustle culture. And so that person is Drake. Now, I haven't really listened to rap music in, in some years, so I'm not promoting him as a fan or anything like that. I'm a fan of his uh, his path to superstardom, to put it, put it in, in uh, different terms. And I think his story is fascinating in the sense that there's a lot to learn that people are glossing over because 
for whatever reason, they want to downplay whatever success he has. So one of the big things is he had this this hit, you know, it was like probably six years ago or so. It was started from the bottom where he talks about his, his rise to the top with his team. You know, him and his, his loyal team members that struggled together and then now they're superstars. So they'll say, well, he didn't start from the bottom. He was a child actor. See, the problem with that kind of dismissive attitude is, well, number one, the bottom is subjective. Maybe to him, maybe him just ending as a Degrassi actor was not, you know, maybe that was the bottom. Maybe that was considered his absolute bare minimum of what he would expect out of himself for expectations. That'd make a lot of sense, being an international superstar beating the, the Beatles records, right? The other part is someone must have left out the details of when it was said that he was born on Degrassi's set. He obviously had to audition to get that role in the first place, which is still impressive at that age to be paid uh, an adult salary at that age. I don't. I highly doubt that he was born on that set and from birth he was just gifted a spot. It doesn't really work like that. There was probably other people that were vying for that position as well, and I would guarantee it. So it doesn't really matter though. The, his ascent to the top was so seismic that anything you could really call the bottom to him. To him it was relative and, per, and, and perception. The interesting part though is how he, to this day, has rarely made a mistake. It's almost just like it is just perfectly crafted. Whoever is his PR team or the people behind the scenes they have done it so right with his career path. We rarely see it. And so, so he's like, uh, you know, part of the millennial generation. So I would say he's probably the only person I can see in this millennial generation that has used kind of like the old school tactics to get where he is and, and is pulling it off masterfully. So let's look at it. He ends up on the show promoting his, his rapping because on the show he, if you don't know, He's in a wheelchair. He gets um, his character gets shot by a a school um, school nerd that was getting bullied. And on the show, he becomes a rapper. So that was kind of the introduction to the idea of him being a musician. From there, once the show's over and they go on the next generation, he ends up putting out some local hits. You know, local radio. He's he's networking locally, getting the support of his own city behind him. And all the while he's making the right connections. He's he's helping other artists get their message out. And what happens is he ends up bumping into the right people just by relentlessly getting that message out, which is his music, of course. So he meets Forty, which is his producer now, which would be like a, a content person if you were to look at it in digital marketing terms. But he's the guy that gives him all the beats, gives him his sound and, and work with him to formulate the voice that you see today. But from there, we, we kind of know, or most people do anyways, is that he goes and he signs with Young Money, which was absolutely massive. They were the most dominant record label at the time. And he collaborates with a lot of his, his label mates. And so he's everywhere. And then he does this. He puts out a free mixtape 
with album quality to get a gauge. He, he, he checks the temperature of the public to see how they're going to react to it and doesn't ask for any money in return. He just wants you to listen to it. And from there, it was completely fresh. So nobody really knew how anybody else was going to react. Now he had people listening. So then when he was able to put out the next album, so if you want to look at it at this point, it's like influencer marketing, if you were to do a parallel. He's going on with people that are more credible than him, i.e. Lil Wayne and um, I think it was even Nicki Minaj at the time. He gets into the public's domain and their, their ears and in front of them as much as possible. And then from there, he makes sure that he keeps up with his collaborations. He's not making any, any enemies along the way. He's playing this masterfully. He's always, no matter where you look, he was there. And he had something for the guys, the girls. He had something that was speaking to a generation. It wasn't a tone deaf message as well. Millennials during the, the mid 2000s or so were fed this, this image of this lifestyle of luxury. And so if you remember songs like Whatever You Like by T.I., you know, they had the big images of the mansions and the Bentleys. And that was kind of the expectations, why it was so such a punch in the gut to the millennials when they graduated college and realized, hey, you know, I'm going to have to start with a, a very average salary, if not below. And that was a tough pill to swallow. But he played on their fantasies masterfully. And over that time, then when he fully released his, his, his full album, all the while, he's staying behind the scenes. He just let the music talk for him. It has really good commercial success. I believe it was, so it went from So Far Gone to uh, Take Care. And throughout this time, again, continuing to hop onto other people's songs. So the, the success just keep, keeps continuing. He goes on tour. He's doing these these uh, these big shows across the entire world. He's shedding that image of of the Degrassi guy, and he had this kind of uh, he had this this self awareness about him that was rare. He had a uh, he was able to poke fun of himself. He he didn't try to be the you know the, the big bad gangster drug dealer like was so prominent. That's what people like. That, that people took, people, so what, what happened is people gravitated towards that because it was authentic. So during this middle time, like during this, this from what you see today and then during this, this rapid ascent, he also managed to win over every single faction so someone like Eminem, who, who is a purist in every sense, he gets on a song with him. He gets on a song with Kanye, who was a big influence and was kind of the start of that um, alternative type rap, if you want to call it that, backpack rap. And he also gets into the battle rap scene, which is really underground. You know, if you remember Eminem's 8 Mile, it's like the, the true hardcore roots. It'd be the equivalent of... Rocky in the gym in the warehouse. Yeah, just bare bones fundamentals. He gets into that scene. 
and he's he's sponsoring these events and it just so happened to be from his hometown uh toronto king of the dot was was the um organization they're still around today but he was big into that so that's where you have all the lyricists non-pop as you can go and this is an international pop star going there and during that time he's starting to write like those guys so he's picking up no matter where he goes he's changing his style so fluidly he's put out at this point uh, love music you know the topics about fame topics about money talks about his hum humble pasts he's he's doing he's doing uh albums double albums with uh people like future who is a, a trap artist at the time anybody that was coming up any new artist he was jumping on a song with them if they had any sort of buzz so he was basically lifting them up but also managing to stay relevant himself and then adapt his sound he has so many different sounds that's that type of versatility that you would just see in the greats and all the while the most impressive part of all of this is he knows how to keep his mouth shut. Where was he on any of the major issues throughout the world? He can't find it. He's remained a mystery. He stayed in the back. He knew to keep his mouth shut on any sort of issues. He wasn't like those idiot celebrities we see today that think their opinion counts so much more than everybody else. And they always got to throw in their opinion on things. Nope. He let the music do the talking. He showed up when he had to, when it came to interviews. He would purposely avoid those types of topics because that that's not what it was about. He wanted people to focus on, on his art. And then you look at to today. He put out Caribbean album, uh, UK-influenced album, Jamaican-influenced album. And now we see where he's come from that how how much of a how much of a distance and how, how the heights he's climbed to to passing the beatles setting all these streaming records he's managed to win the crowd over every single time so many different people so many different types of groups he's fell into and some people say well you know that's kind of fake that's being inauthentic he's just being a chameleon he's like shang sung from mortal combat but really what he's doing is he's just he's showing appreciation for the art and you'll notice that he'll use samples from the 70s 80s 90s he's a true he's a true craftsman and what that has to do with hustle culture is throughout this time the biggest controversy he has you may or may not know this, is he had this uh, this argument with Meek Mill, and it was about writing. Did he write his own music or did he not write his own music? And so he was putting out mixtapes in between his albums. It was a brilliant strategy. And they, uh, it always had something new, a different style from him. But on one, it was, if you're reading this, it's too late. There was some controversy that somebody named Quinton Miller was writing some of his music, or at least now people look at it like all of it. So they, they heard that there was three reference songs where somebody wrote something for him. And then from there, now the rest of the time, every one of his songs are written by somebody else, which is just stupid. If you think about what he's really doing is, it was probably a mixture. I'd be willing to bet. 
there was five reference tracks dropped that the mixtape itself had 18 tracks on it so you need to ask yourself at that point if there's only five that that came out okay well where the rest were the other 13 and do you really think that he doesn't have any sort of say when he's talking about his life story in a, in a lot of these in a lot of these songs come on he truth of the matter is he probably wanted a fresh sound so he did what they call outsourcing he had a ghostwriter and it makes sense with the amount of volume that he had to pump out he took advantage of his windows when he was hot when the iron was hot he struck on it he knows when to pull back too he knows when people are kind of getting a little bit tired of him when his voice is becoming a little bit oversaturated he knows when to pull pull back and he goes silent it's he he knows exactly what he's doing at all times he will not screw up his income flow he's not trying to get fancy being some revolutionary we he might he might later there's a very good chance of that but that will probably probably be when he's worth at least half a billion dollars if not more at that time he's still going to this day he's managed to stay at this level of dominance for a decade it's hard to remember somebody like that in recent times other than let's say someone like Eminem or you know Leonardo DiCaprio somebody in, a, in an industry that's adjacent to it but now we're starting to see all of that come together when you look at his body of work and everything that he's done so far looking at the steps piece by piece to how he's gotten there and still has managed to not be on anybody's cancel list or anything like that is just remarkable. That is a master of his craft. That was somebody that saw himself as being a generational talent and did not let any distractions get in his way. He was in that studio writing, recording, writing, recording. There was even rumors about him starting a, a writing camp in there where they had tents and so it, it actually his his producer confirmed that to be true there was a writing camp but he had started it the producer started it. he wanted a a tent there it just so happened that other people wanted to go all in as well they were inspired by it and they did it too it wasn't like he was enforcing these labor camps like some people made it out to be but that's anything people can do to to tarnish a reputation they will it didn't really work here and so he kept doing it over and over and over again, just massive amounts of quality content. And he brought in a new voice and he's so perceptive about what's going on. And again, I haven't listened to a song of his in, I don't know, maybe five years or so. I'm strictly talking about from what he did to rise to greatness and how he has managed to piece together this, this puzzle every year everything he does almost is strategic i would say like probably 90 95 of what he does is strategic sometimes he'll break character you know he did the 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 raptors and the uh, you know the nba game but come on you got to give him some leeway here that is the city that's his team even though he had the other team tattooed on him that was obviously something that was going to be hard to stay out of the limelight for. But as a fan growing up in his own city, of course, he's going to he's going to want to have fun there. Right. 
But the biggest lesson you can learn from all that is that's hustle culture applied right. He had a clear vision. He put the right people around him. He didn't make any unnecessary enemies or burn any unnecessary bridges. Whenever it was time to be a professional and show up, he did. When it was time to reinvent himself, he did. When it was time to go into the, the fundamentals, like going to the battle rap scene, that which is deep, deep, deep underground, he did. When it comes to being a pop star, working with the, the biggest names in the business, like Rihanna, for instance, he did. He can adapt to any and all situations and keep his sound diverse. He is not one dimensional by any means. And then he was able to make memes. He was able to create GIF worthy moments from his music videos to keep his name always in the discussion. He knew what he was doing with that hotline bling video where he wears the embarrassing turtleneck and does the terrible moves. He knew exactly what he was doing there because that's another thing. He was so comfortable with himself or he still is. He can make fun of himself. He knows he's not some big bad gangster. And that's what people love about him. That's why of this generation, it's gonna be very hard for any millennial for after to top that. I don't even see anybody close to mimicking those steps. Just a food for thought. It's a great story. I would highly recommend digging even further it gets even better the more that you dig in. You'll see just how calculated the, the genius was behind this plan that has developed. And the people that would dismiss this message, you're missing out on a really good opportunity to learn. Because we, the best part about the music industry, and it's not unlike other business ventures that maybe like a marketing agency that's more behind the scenes, we're able to see it unfold in front of us. We're able to see almost every single move. You can't find a scandal of us. And, and if you can, it, it gets erased pretty quickly simply because he has so much more going on that gets into the news. There's a lot to learn from how careful, how strategic, how versatile he's been. And not to mention that whole Degrassi thing usually would be, you know, get him vanilla iced. He was able to move past that, similar to what Justin Timberlake did with, with InSync. Look into his story. It is a great learning lesson. Uh, there's a great lessons to be learned there. If this was a, another time in the 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene, I could see that in an updated version definitely being included. Would love to hear your thoughts. You can send me an email at house at bestrevenuewriter.com. You can send me an email at contact us, www.journeytosmartcity.com. Today we discussed hustle culture. We discussed how Drake embodied the real hustle culture that should be promoted as, as the craft. And we discussed how all of that ties in the lessons you can learn to apply to your life. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye now.